As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. It is such an honor, and this is before the news of yesterday on a missile and this is south of Belarus on the Polish border uh, with Ukraine, that you get to turn, Paul Sweeney, as I have this morning, to Elliot Ackerman of the Marine Corps, and wow. now James Stravitas of the U.S. Naval Academy and his service to the nation uh, as Supreme Commander of NATO as well. Admiral Stravitas, thank you so much for joining us this morning. There is in your book, 2034, my book of the summer a few years ago, folks, I can't say enough about, about it. On the first page of the South China Sea, how many times over her career has she stood as she did now on the bridge of a ship observing this miracle of stillness? There was a stillness in Poland yesterday that appears to be violated by chance. How afraid should we be of exhaustion, a war that goes on, and a war that goes on to the winter where chance overtakes us. We got a wake-up call yesterday, and it turned out as well as it possibly could have, Tom. Um, let's face it, uh, that could have been a deliberate attack by Russia. It, it would be crazy for Putin to start a war with NATO, particularly by firing missiles into a field in Poland. But could have been deliberate. It could have been a Russian offensive missile that went extremely stupid, and we've seen several instances of that. Turns out, apparently, it's it's a Ukrainian air defense missile, entirely justified in its use. But here's the point, Tom. Wars sometimes start on incidents that people overreact to, move mm -hmm. too quickly, I think, Tom, you, you and I are old enough to remember the Tonkin Gulf incident right. kind of precipitated Vietnam or the assassination of an archduke that starts World War One. I. I wasn't there um, for that. Thank you. Uh, oh, I, are you sure? Uh, <laughs> in, in, in any event, um, we got a wake-up call about how dangerous right. this situation is, and uh, we ought to pay attention to and that. And you're expert in this. Paul Sweeney wants to jump in here, but very quickly. Admiral, our solution in America is our modern technocracy, our technocratic engineering. We've got the toys. We've got the radar. We've got the planes. But that doesn't work in a war, does it? you got to have the technology, but I would argue we got the people. We know what we're doing. We have been in a lot of combat operations. 
uh, our opponents, uh, Russia, looking like they're flailing badly here. China hasn't been in a sustained war since the 1950s. Um, we have a strong advantage in our people. We ought to be confident in that. And we ought to understand that hopefully that creates real deterrence against these other powers. Admiral, so given what we kind of feared yesterday, which might have been an escalation of some sort against what appears to be a brutal winter coming up and, and who knows how it will play out. Should we be thinking about ways to give Mr. Putin a way out of this thing? Because from his perspective, he's got to re recognize that this is at best just a stalemate. He should be awakening, but I think, uh, Paul, he wants to play a couple of cards yet. He wants to wait and see how the winter comes out uh, as the Europeans struggle with high energy costs and a cold winter. Is it a warm winter? He wants to see if there's impact there. And he is also waiting to see how divisive our politics here are in the United States. I think the midterms probably... Uh, gave him some pause. That was not a good outcome for him. And I think as the winter goes on, um, I think the Europeans are going to stand pretty strong. So point being, yes, this thing will end up in a negotiation. I think it probably heads toward negotiation after the winter uh, when both sides are facing real exhaustion. Uh, Putin, because he runs out of resources. Zelensky, because the patient's the resources of the West become harder to obtain. I think that drives both parties potentially to negotiation uh, early next spring. Right. Let's hope so. Admiral Stravitas, thank you so much. And again, Elliot Ackerman and James Stravitas, the book is 2034. It has my highest, highest recommendation. Elliot Ackerman joins us to say he's former White House fellow, U.S. Marine Corps veteran, is to miss the point of my book of the summer a number of summers ago. The book is 2034, a novel of the next world, except the next world is coming ever uh, closer. Uh, Elliot Ackerman, thank you so much for joining us today. Let me start with the basic reconnaissance, reconnaissance uh, issues of a missile attack. Do we have as the West or as America or as NATO, do we have intelligence systems from space or or from ground that know where various and sundry missiles move? We do. Generally speaking, what we have is uh, what's called counter-battery radar. So you can, uh, with, with basic math, figure out the trajectory of these missiles, uh, the direction of impact, and, and where they have come from. So, I mean, that's basically how we've seen NATO very quickly figure out that this missile that landed in Poland was, in fact, launched from Ukraine. The dystopian nature of your book, 2034, without giving the plot away, is that when adversaries come together, the biggest problem is mistakes. The biggest problem is risks. As you perceive Ukraine and Russia into the winter, is that the problem? They're worn out, they're exhausted, systems are failing, they're just close. So like your book, things fall apart rapidly? Well, exactly. You hit the nail right on the head that, uh, you know, wars are escalatory by nature. And once you enter uh, this escalatory cycle, uh, it just picks up and picks up and each incident becomes increasingly dangerous. You know, and that's why we see the secretary general of NATO cautioning, cautioning calm because all sides don't want to see the war in Ukraine spill outside of the borders of Ukraine, which would be 
disastrous. Elliot, that calm wasn't there yesterday. The foreign minister of Ukraine put this tweet out 14 hours ago. I want to read it out because I think it's important. He said, Russia now promotes a conspiracy theory that it was allegedly a missile of Ukrainian air defence that fell on the Polish territory, which is not true. No one should buy Russian propaganda or amplify its message. Hasn't that just been totally contradicted by the NATO Secretary General just moments ago? Well, it has. And it, it's, you know, it's an important reminder that, you know, although Russia is waging a, an illegal war in Ukraine, and although you know, the West and NATO are supporting the Ukrainian people, it obviously has to be whoa, within a rational context. Uh, we can't go fly off the handle uh, each time that there is an incident or the war spills over in unfortunate ways. So I think NATO is doing the right thing. Um, you know, I don't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily say the Ukrainians uh, are, are doing the wrong thing, but I think you can expect you know, they are in a a crisis situation that they a reality they've been living in since February of 2021, uh, an existential war fought on their land. Uh, and we need to be good partners in helping them manage that war and hopefully bring it to a successful conclusion. Does it bother you, though, Elliot, that perhaps Russia has a bit more leverage because they're backed into a corner and it's Vladimir Putin's pride and he could act in a more rash way because he doesn't really care what the West does to him at this point uh, because of just simply their reluctance to engage in a conflict? Sure, I think that, you know, that is obviously... Uh, a point that, that that we need to weigh. You know, Russia is backed into a corner. Uh, Putin, it would seem, doesn't have that much left to lose. Um, but if you want to look at the nation that really has nothing left to lose, it's I mean, it, it's Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is, is fighting for its very existence and its very life. The thing that uh, concerns me the most is that I think we, by we, I mean sort of the collective West, have in the last you know, decade or two of warfare gotten into a psychology where wars are very long. They're fought over five, 10, as we saw in Afghanistan, even 20 year periods. The war in Ukraine is a different type of war. It's a bit of a throwback. When I've been there to cover the war, I mean, there are air raids, you're running down to bomb shelters. It feels like a 20th century war. And it's a war that needs to be resolved uh, really in the next year or two. And if the war bleeds over into three, four, five, 10 years, that only advantages the Russians. Elliot, wonderful to hear from you, as always, sir. Elliot Ackerman there. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I can state unequivocally on the island of Manhattan, there is no one steeped in this 
And Dana Telsey, CEO, Chief Research Officer, Telsey Advisor Group, iconic at Bear Stearns uh, years ago. And Dana, I want you to, uh, 57th and 5th Avenue, give us one little window into your childhood at Bergdorf, Bergdorf Goodman. Give us just one little moment there in your childhood. I think the moment at Bergdorf Goodman comes from my grandmother working at Bergdorf Goodman and going in and seeing that on the housewares floor, seeing all the different Christmas trees and holiday decorations they have. It changes every right. year. And it's a wow every year. We are coming off a pandemic that your grandparents never could have imagined. It was over in 1918. No, it was not. What does the holiday season look like this year? I think the holiday season, for the most part, is going to be about gathering. I think people want to be together more than they ever have in the past. But I think it's still a challenged holiday season economically. Yes, the retail sales figures came out. But you have a real bifurcation between the high end and the low end. Yeah. The high end still spending. But the growth rate of that high end spend is moderating from what it had been in the past. And what we need, you need new product. And who's delivering new product? You and I talked about the Trunks exhibition at Louis Vuitton on Madison. Mm -hmm. Avenue. That's new. You look at Deckers and they have new Uggs platform shoes that are taking off on running. If you don't have the waffle sole, that okay. is pretty good too. But that's the luxury sector. This is mm -hmm. the people who have discretionary spending. We just saw from the targets of the world. Maybe that's not the case for the vast majority of other people. What is your takeaway in terms of the discretionary spending ability in mass from the Target and Walmart uh, earnings? It's cautious. When you think about the inflationary headwinds that they have, they don't have the same spending power that they did before, especially when food is going up as, as much as it did. You look where the value is, everyone's competing on promotion today, which is different than 365 days ago. But you look at TJX's numbers today, which are better than expected, and frankly, even the guidance, it was nice to see how they're setting up. They're getting better brands at more value prices. And so is there some share shifts that's going on and is off price returning. It's a great point, especially because we saw, for example, Walmart gain share in the grocery store sector, which actually buffered a lot of their sales, right? Because people are still buying food and you're seeing that. Where do you expect to see the big share shifts? How much do you see consolidation among the strongest players and the losers really losing even bigger? I think overall, when we're thinking about the changes that are going on, who has the assortment and who has value? I think one of the surprises tomorrow could be Macy's. And I think they've been more innovative than they have been in the past. And I think we're going to see some improvement there. I think overall, we're seeing on the specialty apparel side, there's newness there. You look at Aritzia, who's been taking share. And I think the issues <clears throat> at the gap continue to remain headwinds. I think they are shared donors, not shared gainers in the, in the near term. And I think when we do have all of the changes that are happening, you take a look at urban outfitters with anthropology and free people, where I think that little bit higher income and women are buying, I think there's a benefit there. The teen retailers are having issues because they don't have the discretionary spend. So it's a, it's mm -hmm. a share shift. And let's not forget inventory levels. We have too much inventory. No one is getting rid of it as fast as they would like. And that's going to mean a bargain for the consumer. So where's the value in equity here? I, I want to go back to the central statement, which is we talk about and Lisa needs a pair of statement sunglasses, very important uh, to, to have in a recession. Do you go long luxury, which is already richly priced, or do you find value in troubled big box or something else? I don't know. One of the things I'm seeing with so many of my stocks at 52-week lows, I think investors are doing their homework on the names, preparing for 23 and 24. The tailwind next year is about lower freight rates. The headwind is well, where Give me a single best demand. buy here. You're with us. Here. No one's watching. 
watching. Come on, I need a single Best Buy right now. When I think of the names out there that are interesting, I mean, I like TJX for what they can continue to deliver, but I think there's other names that are interesting also. When I think of names like, look what Estee Lauder just delivered. If you have to look at some of the value names out there and what could be a change, I think Abercrombie and Fitch. I think the newness that they're delivering. I was in there the other day. And what did you think? I was kidding. Okay, got You think it. I'm going to line up to go in an A&F? You don't have to line up. You can walk in. And you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what S.A. Lauder uh, bought uh, Tom Ford, and that's what you're talking about, the biggest purchase in its history. I am wondering, there is this theory out there put forward by the likes of Morgan Stanley that at some point there'll be a tipping point next year, and these will be the names that will benefit the most. Is there going to be a roll-up in between? Will there be some sort of consolidation or bankruptcies that have not yet been experienced? I think you'll continue to see some of the acquisitions take place in consolidation, but I think you're also going to see divestitures. Some of the companies that maybe not having had performed as well and want to focus on brands that are working, you look at a Wolverine Worldwide, for example, where the Merrill business is their strength. They may not need all the other brands in their portfolio. So I think you're going to see both. Mm -hmm. And I also think you may see a change up in terms of the physical locations becoming more important. I think stores are the new gathering spots. And what the pandemic did is they basically brought together that people want to socialize. And frankly, you look at as the pandemic hopefully goes into the rear view that, yes, you are seeing people shop at stores. It's one of the changes for holiday 22. 20 seconds. China to the rescue. That's a big theme that's out there, isn't it? Does it work? Uh, not yet. I'm still seeing China being being a, a tough place for a lot of my brands. Okay. I think it's not until 23. Bring Joe Feldman next time. Dana Tulsi uh, with his Tulsi Advisory Thank Group. You. Amy with Silverman joins us now, Equity Derivative Strategist at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, can we call this a melt-up over the last week? And what do you make of this rally we've seen from the NASDAQ to the S&P? Yeah, I think melt up is an accurate way to describe it. Look, it feels like a lifetime ago, but, you know, one week ago is when we got that CPI number and options were, you know, somewhat of a culprit outside of fundamental information. About one third of all S&P options that traded that day were for that expiration on that Wednesday. And that certainly exacerbates some of the moves you see. Now we've gotten to a point. John, in terms of positioning where, uh, you know, essentially investors are, are selling calls and and basically just watching a grind up. So, you know, they were very worried about participating in that upside, but we haven't seen reinitiation of even new levels from here. So I think from the options perspective, they kind of think, again, it's a melt yeah. up, but not a rip up. Amy, I'm going to go to your research note where you mentioned Bitcoin and your study of the Bitcoin moves and all the uproar that's ensued. And I want to go to quantitative finance and this concept of drift, of moving tick by tick in a time series. Does Bitcoin trade like Apple? Does Bitcoin trade in a time series like a given bond or a given foreign exchange pair? What does the drift look like for Bitcoin? Yeah, you know, look, for, for something like Bitcoin and crypto in general, there's there's obviously not as long a time series as there are for other assets. But the way it trades, when you look at it historically and you look at realized correlations, is it's just another risk asset. And certainly, given the information that came out of FTX and everything that's going on, you know, people want to know what direction it's going. And I will say, similar to all other risk assets, Tom, it, you know, on the downside, it tends to be more correlated. So we're seeing decently strong correlations you know, as the market had sold off and it still remains strong. But, 
it doesn't, you know, it, on the upside, it actually tends to diverge more than the downside. All things tend to go to one when things are, uh, you know, selling off very hard. Amy, we've been talking about how incredible the swoon in Bitcoin has been, but you point to the other side of things that actually it's been quite resilient, just the crypto space in general, given the entire collapse overnight of a, an entire firm. I wonder if there's a broader message about the markets and just how resilient and how invested a lot of institutions are, not in the crypto space, but more broadly and the reluctance to really retrench in a meaningful way. Yeah, it's a great question. And look, uh, a few months ago, we we spoke with both Sam Bankman-Fried and Brett Harrison, who was the president of FTX at the time. And I think one thing that's underappreciated, Lisa, about what they were doing was was not only on the crypto side, but there were huge implications for just market structure, for just normal markets, for futures, for derivatives. And the other thing I would say is, you know, like, Given where the CFTC proposal is likely in now, it's probably not going to pass, or at least regulators are going to look at things differently. But the resilience to me seems to speak of kind of the institutional adoption that did happen because there was a lot of interest at the time. And, you know, we'll see how that changes. But institutions, and this has been a theme that they've talked about a lot, was institutions continue to adopt, continue to investigate it, continue to have heads of digital. And I don't know that that would change even with where FTX is now. Amy, wonderful to hear from you. Brilliant as always. Amy with Silverman there of RBC Capital Markets. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.